Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of Gateway to the Smokies. This is the second season of this podcast, which focuses on life, culture, and tourism in America's most visited national park, the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and the surrounding towns. This area is filled with ancient natural beauty, a deep storied history, stunning adventures, and rich mountain cultures that we will explore with weekly episodes. I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, man of the world, but also with deep roots in these mountains. My family has lived in the Great Smokies for over 200 years. My business is in travel, but my heart is in culture. Today's podcast, we're talking about family adventures and outdoor experiences in the Smokies. But first, let's talk about our sponsors. Metal Ark Motel. Imagine a place evocative a motor courts of the past, yet modern and vibrant with a chic Appalachia feel, a place for adventure and relaxation. Imagine a place where you can fish in a mountain heritage trout stream, grill the catch on a fire, and eat, accompanied by fine wine and craft beers. Imagine a place with old-time music and world cultural sounds. Imagine a place with mountain heritage food and an underground speakeasy. There is no other place like the Metal Ark Motel in Maggie Valley. It's your Smoky Mountain Venture starts with where you stay. Now the sponsor is SmokiesAdventure.com. That's Smokies, plural, adventure.singular.com. Uh, it's a site for information and listings about the Smokies. Hiking information, wedding venues, books, trail maps, resources, the emphasis of Smokey's Adventure is on outdoor recreation, outdoor life events like weddings and adventures, along with providing information on lodging, family entertainment, events, conventions, honeymoons, and more. This goal of this site, and it's becoming that, is to become a leading information portal of the Smoky Mountains. So we're talking about family today, and I have three-year-old twins and so we've experienced some things to do in the mountains with the family. And I thought I'd mention a few of the things that we do. Um, I don't know if you know it, but North Carolina uh, has the southernmost uh, ski resort in the nation. It's the Cataloochee Ski Resort. And there you can go skiing and snowboarding from essentially the end of November until March. Um, and it's... Uh, and it's, it has a fairly lengthy snow season, and it also manufactures its own so, snow. Uh, and the slopes are very good for beginners. 44% of them are for beginners, so it's great for families to go to. Uh, and 39% and are immediate, so there's very little advanced, uh, but uh, there's enough for uh, one family member to go do the advanced stuff, and then the rest of the family go to the, uh, the intermediate and, and, and basic stuff. And they got great... Uh, classes. In fact, I took classes there when I was a kid uh, and private lessons if you want. Uh, and there's also snowboarding up there. In fact, there's a great snowboarding shop at the, snowboarding shop at the, uh, the foot of the hills. Recently, one of the uh, X Games gold medal, gold medal winners was a, a snowboarder from Waynesville, North Carolina, who spent a lot of his time training on Catalucci. So it's a, uh, it's a great place to go uh, for winter adventures. Now, at the bottom in the ma in the, of the mountain, right in Maggie itself, is snow tubing. And they manufacture the kitty slope of, uh, of, uh, of uh, snow, and kids can go up there and have just an incredible fun time so, 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 yeah, sledding down on uh, tubes almost the whole winter season. 
It's great for the entire family because I got these giant tubes that I can sit on. <laughs> and I'm a pretty big dude. So uh, it's an unforgettable experience. Um, and you should book a time before you go because it can get crowded, especially on the, on the weekends. Now, don't forget to go winter hiking in the Smokies. There's a lot of easy hikes you can look up online, and I think, I'm sure our, our guests coming up can mention a few. But um, the, um, the beauty of hiking in the mountains is a couple, a couple in the winter is a couple. One is it, 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 it's not crowded like it is during the spring and summer and the fall. And uh, so you don't have to deal with a lot of crowds. But two is uh, you might think losing all the leaves is a, is, a, is a detriment. But what you get when you lose all the leaves is views. You get incredible vistas that you get to look at and see. So it's something that you don't get any other time of the year is these vast vistas that you can see. Uh, so it's a great time to come up. Uh, it can be very safe. And, you know, and, and some of those waterfalls get ice on them that just make them dazzling uh, frozen spectacles. Now, you can also uh, find museums in the, in the mountains, and there's some great ones. Uh, I, I personally went um, when they created the new museum of the Cherokee Indian a few years back. I went there, and I was dumbfounded. They had a hologram witch doctor that followed you through the whole presentation. Every exhibition, this hologram would show up and it was just incredibly engaging. And it's just, it's a, it's a really beautiful, elegant uh, experience explaining a lot of the Cherokee culture that I just can't recommend high, more highly enough. And they have, there are also lots of arts and crafts. There's actually a big, um, you know, sort of facility near next, right across from the, the museum that has lots of uh, uh, Native American, uh, Cherokee Indian uh, crafts, especially masks, incredibly number of masks. And I love that place. Um, you can also, uh, the, the Metal Ark Motel is actually putting in the Metal Ark Smoky Mountain Heritage Center where we have a little, we have exhibits on like the plot hound, the state dog of North Carolina. We're actually installing uh, uh, regularly new exhibits. Right now we're installing one for called the Moonshine Room, and we'll have openings for uh, people to see, you know, history of moonshiners in the mountains uh, in a way maybe you haven't seen before. Uh, so, and of course, the Asheville Museum, um, there's museums in Gatlinburg and Pigeon Forge. So it's, it's and, and there's lots of great art. You know, the Asheville area was, uh, was uh, immersed in arts for most of its time. It's had some great writers, great artists, you know, the Black Mountain School with J, uh, uh, Jacob Albers and, um, and, and Rauschenberg and, and, uh, and those others of that, of that period all were at the Black Mountain School, and it was incredible. Um, speaking of Asheville, it's a foodie town, and I could recommend uh, restaurants galore in Asheville. It's, I think, one of the top foodie towns in North Carolina, maybe in the eastern seaboard, um, and you can go there. But in terms of uh, things in the area, Silva has some great little restaurants. Galupe's is a fab fabulous uh, uh, Mexican restaurant. Silva, Waynesville has some really good ones like Sweet Onion, or they have one of the top 10 barbecue joints in, in the nation, according to a really recent magazine called the Hazelwood Smokehouse. And of course, Maggie Valley, we have a wonderful family restaurant called J. Arthur's. It, from its get-go, over 40 years ago, J. Arthur's was a family-oriented steakhouse where Fathers could get a steak, kids could get a get food that appealed to them. Moms could get a great big, 
famous gorgonzola salad if she wanted. Uh, but they also serve fabulous rainbow trout. There's a great barbecue place in Maggie called Pop's Butt on the Creek. Um, and it's, uh, and it, and it's, it's just fabulous. And of course, the Metal Arc is opening up Starts and Crafts. That'll be coming soon. And it's going to be a small play place fo uh, focusing on a different take on mountain heritage food. Um, so look forward to that. Other places to go in the, in, in the mountains is, uh, is, um, is there's a lot of great sh shopping and there's the Christmas shops. You know, there's a, there's one called Nancy Tut's Christmas shop. And of course in Maggie, we have a wonderful one called Cabbage Rose. It's very unique and it's got an eclectic shopping experience, but I think it has over 2000 square feet of Christmas uh, uh, experience and, you know, and, and displays and mannequins and, and trains and moving parts and things like that. So uh, don't, don't, don't forget that. Also, I really love and recommend people go to the Maggie Valley Rock and Rock Shop and Gem Mine. It's really great for kids. They get to see all these colorful stones and, you know, and experiences um, that I think are worthwhile. And of course, there's the Market Square in Maggie Valley. It has a, a lot of you know, gift shops that is uh, got a lot of one of a kind things. And then at the beginning of Maggie, there's a mountain, Maggie Mountaineer Crafts, which is an, uh, which is a, is a, an institution in Maggie Valley, been there for umpteen thousand years. And it's just a wonderful place to take kids because there's all sorts of wonderful gifts and toys that kids can enjoy. So anyway, uh, some ideas about what you could do in Maggie Valley. There's a lot more. Uh, you can just search online and go uh, family things to do in the mountains. You can find there's all sorts of amusement parks. You've got, you got uh, the Polar Express, which is railroads. Um, there's still some um, there's still some amusement parks like Santa's Land. And of course, over in Gatlinburg and Pigeon Forge area, there's a tremendous things like Dollywood and um, things like that are worthwhile taking can kids and family to. And in general, you know, the, you know, if you go up in the Cades Cove and go to look at the elk uh, and take the kids up there, there's things to do besides just seeing the elk, which blows them away. But there's old buildings, there's streams. There's things that just will tickle their imagination. Even at three-year-olds, we took them up there and they were engaged the whole time. So anyway, uh, a person who might know about a lot of this is our guest, Nancy East. Nancy is a renowned author, hiker, and outdoor educator. A former veterinarian, Nancy has hiked and led seminars and programs all over the United States but her favorite trails are near her Haywood County home in the Great Smoky Mountains, where she holds the fastest known time for hiking over 900 miles of all the trails in the, in the Smoky Mountains uh, National Park. She has an outdoors blog where she writes about the outdoors and about one of the possible adventures with children in the wilderness. Hello, Nancy. Hey there, glad to be here. I'm glad you're here. So. Um, I like uh, uh, one of your quotes uh, that I saw that although, although you're not a native in Haywood County, you got here as fast as you could and have now resided here for over 20 years. Absolutely. Uh, so how, where were you before? Atlanta. So definitely a big departure from where I grew up, but a welcome change. I think I've always been a country girl at heart who just happened to grow up in a city. Uh, and your, what, was your, what was your skills and professional background in, in Atlanta? 
Yeah, so I, I went to high school there, graduated from high school, then I headed over to Alabama, lived there for about eight years while I was an undergraduate and veterinary school. And then I was lucky enough to land my first job right here in Waynesville, downtown Waynesville, and I've never left. It's always been home since, and it's where I've raised my family. Great. Oh, it's a great place to live, raise a family. So that's why you're in Haywood County. That's fabulous. Yep. Well, um, we have to take a break now. I guess I was long-winded on that first stuff. So uh, I want to talk about uh, so, you know, what you learned about the region, and, and there's some recent news we got to talk about. All mm -hmm. right? Sounds good. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Are you on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Joseph Franklin McElroy back with the Gateway to the Smokies podcast. My guest, Nancy East. So, Nancy, Nancy, uh, you you came to the Haywood County uh, and got raised your family and uh, you know built a life here. What's what's the most important thing you've learned about this region? And so, what are, what are some of the qualities you enjoy the most? Yeah, gosh, that's a great question. So many things to answer that one. Uh, well, what brought me here, undeniably, was just the natural beauty. Uh, it was just, to me, almost an unfound treasure at the time. You know, Waynesville has grown, I'm sure, as you've seen all your life, but just in the nearly 25 years that I've been here, too, it has grown exponentially as far as just amenities and services and, and just people. But 
the people are what makes it so special too. I love the sense of community. I love raising my family here and having you know a tight network of friends, but then a broader base of just community contacts. Everybody seems to want to help each other in Waynesville, and that means a lot. You know, it's hard to find that. I think sometimes in a big city, it's it's a little harder to seek out and find anyway. So it felt like an instant connection when I moved here in that regard, and has never let me down. You know, when I grew up, that I mean, that was always the mountain hospitality was something we were always proud of. You know, mm-hmm. uh, always there'd be a hitchhiker coming in the mountains, and you know, my dad would stop and pick him up. Many times he'd uh, find out they were a student from somewhere, like he had a German student once, and we'd let, put him up at a, a camper that we had on the property. <laughs> you know, it was like, you know, it was important to just uh, be hospitable, right? Yes. I guess it runs in my blood. That's why I'm a hospitality guy now. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Very fitting. <laughs> so uh, you're on the search and rescue uh, team for Haywood County. And uh, there is some recent news that made the papers. It was what a, a recent a, a, a hiker g- g- got lost in the recent snowstorm in Shining Rock Wilderson area. Yeah, yeah, that was quite an interesting search. It was the day that the snow came in, you know, the, the heavy snow we had. I was there, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I honestly, I was walking back from my bedroom into the kitchen, and my husband said, you have a call out, your phone just, we have an alert that goes off on our phones, and I really thought he was playing a prank. I said, yeah, right. He said, no, seriously, you do, and even still, I thought this has got to be a practical joke. Nobody's out in this weather, but they were. And uh, it was a hiker or a backpacker, rather, who was hiking the Art Lobe Trail, which, as you know, is about a 30-mile trail that traverses through the Shining Rock Wilderness. And that's about when he called 911, was when he was up on the highest point near Black Balsam, Tennant Mountain, you know, as you know, about 6,000 feet in elevation. And he was standing probably in about a foot of snow at that point and was in over his head as far as skill set, gear, the whole bit. He just didn't check the weather. It was an innocent mistake that you would not believe how many people make before they head into our hills. And uh, so he did the right thing. I applaud him for doing the right thing and calling for help because that's what we're here for. Well, fabulous. But you guys rescued him, right? Yeah. Did, your, your, yeah. Your, your picture was in the paper. I saw you right there. <laughs> it was. Yeah. So yeah, we walked in on snowshoes and yeah, snapped that quick selfie of our team. And uh, yeah, that thing just, it's been all over the nation now. It, it got a lot of media attention for whatever reason. It was a fun picture. So you knew the hiker uh, personally. You, you, uh, he was, I guess, he was like the father of somebody that's a friend with your kids or something like that. No, yeah. no, I didn't know this particular hiker. I, I oh, really? Because you yeah. were quoted as saying it fuels my fire to keep going out there for him. All I have to do is just oh. look at my husband in the bed next to me and think it could be him out there because oh. it's somebody that somebody's loved dearly. Yes. So I, I think that's what drives us all. But it, what he, you didn't know him. Though, I right? did not know him. But it, yeah, to your point, though, that's all I have to do is to think of my child or my husband or my sisters, brothers, anybody that I love dearly being the one that we're going to help. And it's all I have to do to drop everything, even when it's you know risking my own uh, you know, safety in the endeavor. And that's, I think, how our whole team feels. You know, we love to be outdoors. We're not going to lie. We kind of enjoy getting called out in some of these crazy experiences. Yeah. But at the same time, what drives it for us over and over and over is the love of, of helping other people, you know, just trying so to- it's, it's empathy for the family of the lost that drives you, right? Absolutely. Yep. Wow. Cool. So um, as a father of three-year-olds, I'm very interesting. 
uh, I was very interested in that family and you know that and all you know the aspects of the family you write about on your blog, and I'm interested in them having a great experience as outdoor. And I read on your website, I'm an avid believer in Richard Love's principles outlined in his popular book Last Child in the Woods, curing nature deficit disorder. My goal as a parent is to raise my kids as stewards of the earth and with an understanding of how vital the natural world is for their mental health and happiness. So how do you start teaching kids to be stewards of the earth and understanding the importance of the natural world? Yeah, so for me and for everybody, that looks differently. But for me personally, just from a young age, even as infants, it meant something as simple as rocking my babies out on my front porch when the weather was nice, or even when it wasn't, bundling them up so we were prepared for those conditions and just getting them outdoors and not being scared to face certain elements as long as we were prepared, instilling that confidence in them from an early age, really, to, uh, you know, there's no such thing as bad weather, just improper clothing and gear is kind of my mantra. And it's, I think, a Swedish proverb that, that comes from that says it much more eloquently than that. But just from, yeah, their infancy, I've really just tried to expose them to as many opportunities as I can through hiking, backpacking, skiing. We're very outdoorsy as a family. So whatever their energy wants to be channeled into, we seize on that and just take advantage of it. And it changes. All our kids are teenagers now. So it's a completely different realm than what you're in. And I hate to tell you, it's not going to get any easier. But <laughs> Well, how, I, I keep seeing these TikTok videos and videos of three-year-olds skiing down the mountains like it's nothing. How likely it is is I'm going to be able to teach my kids to ski right? down a mountain at three years old. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'm not a skier. So my husband's on ski patrol at Catalucci, actually. So yeah, so we're they're well versed in skiing, but their mom, I, I would rather cross country ski if I'm going to ski. <laughs> okay, cool. So if, if, as a parent, I'm worried about taking my children out in the wilderness, what is the best advice you can give me to keep my children safe and not lost? Oh, I love this question. Prepare yourself. Don't ever forget to pack, you know, really what's between your ears, your brain, that most importantly, but fill that brain up with the knowledge you need to stay safe. Most importantly, think almost in a negative fashion before setting out and think what could go wrong. What if somebody gets injured and we can't walk out and have to wait out help? What kind of weather is going to come our way in the next few days? That's a very common mistake, just like the backpacker in Shining Rock to not check the weather forecast beyond the day of their hike. And then all of a sudden they're stuck in a snowstorm or torrential rain without the proper gear to endure that or clothing. Uh, so just empower yourself with knowledge, but also, and it's all on my website if people want to look it up, carry those 10 essentials. It's a very common kind of a buzz phrase in hiking and mountaineering, these 10 essentials. And they don't have to weigh you down. You don't have to feel like a pack mule, but it's just basic things that will keep you safe should you need it, and also might just enhance your experience, even if you're not in an emergency situation, if you just want to have a fire in a backcountry campsite while you enjoy your lunch or whatnot, uh, you know, having those fire making materials is a good thing to have for that too. So not a big deal to do all these things, but people I, I tend to think just don't know what they don't know, and then they go out and realize what they don't know when they need it the most. We know um, when I take them into a city park, you know, kids park. So it's like, oh, maybe a hundred feet long, you know, 50 feet wide, got some swings and things like that. I have two three-year-olds, right? And it, luckily it has a, 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 a fence all the way around it. But 
I can, I can, one of them can distract me from maybe one second and then I've lost the other one. Now, yeah. what, would, that, would that be a big problem if I take them out of the wilderness? <laughs> it could be. You might want a leash. <laughs> no, but but seriously, you know, yours are kind of on the cusp of understanding yeah. what could happen if they run off from mom and dad. But it is important, even from their ages, and especially as they get older, to really instill just some basic safety measures. If for some reason they did get separated from you, you know, there's the old Boy Scout uh, adage of just hug a tree and that's a good thing to teach a kid just to stay oh, good yeah yeah um, that's that's you know you don't want to make kids think about too many things if they get lost but I do one thing I used to do for my kids when they were younger and could read was pack a little note I did make them carry their own backpack with just a few basic things like a warm coat uh, rain gear that type of thing if they did get separated from me they at least had some basic survival uh, clothing items that they could put on but I also stuck a note in there and just wrote down little bullet points of what they should do because as you know whenever we're panicked and scared in a situation we don't always think rationally and kids don't either and so if they have just that little love note you know obviously with some just words of um, you know affirmation and, and just hopefully comfort for them if they were ever in that situation but also you know sit down eat the snack in your backpack take your stuffed animal out and talk to it just really <laughs> keep them to stay put because really wow. and truly that's the worst thing I can do is keep running away and trying to find you wow well what do you what do you tell them to do if they see a bear ah uh, yeah that same thing I tell adults do not run <laughs> stand your ground you know get a little bit higher ground if possible uh one of the things that works the best for me honestly noise making noise hasn't always worked to drive them off especially if they're habituated but waving my hiking poles above my head that always scares them. They run off, it seems like, every time if I do that. So it just makes me look bigger. It's as simple as that. But just giving yourself even just those hiking poles, the height of that, it, it tricks them. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah, but do not approach the bear. That's another thing. Just bears have become, as you know, I'm sure, so habituated in this area. And it's easy to think I can go up and pet this little cuddly bear cub or mama. And obviously, that's not going to lead anywhere good. And, uh, you know, my wife was interested in a couple of questions. She said, what you know she's very much into natural stuff right and not buying like insect spray and things what are some natural things you can do to protect them from bugs that's yeah i've tapped into a really great resource and it's actually made here locally from hazelwood soap company it's called uh -huh. bug be gone and it's a lotion that has just a proprietary blend of you know citronella and probably lemongrass i'm not sure what all that they put in it but it's just a bunch of uh, just natural products that they put into a base of lotion and you just rub it on like sunscreen. And it really does a great job. I was skeptical. My best friend used to own this company and she sold it, but I was skeptical, but it works. <laughs> and, and then my wife wanted to know, is a, track, is a, tra is a tracking device advisable and possible? <laughs> yeah, no, it's a great thing. I don't have mine with me, but something like a satellite device, a Garmin uh, inReach is what I carry, and it has an SOS button. So if I'm ever in a situation where I truly need help and I don't have cell service, which would be more common than not, all I have to do is push a button. And obviously you want to reserve that for a true emergency, but it's a great thing to have if you can afford one and afford the subscription and all that. I always encourage it, but a lot of people it's cost prohibitive. Cool. Well, you know, we have to take another break now, but uh, when we come back, we'll finish up talking about a little bit more about the little ones and then we'll talk about your book. All right. Thank you. Oh. 
Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. This is Joseph Franklin McElroy back with the Gateway to the Smokies podcast and my guest, Nancy Eats. So, Nancy, uh, got a couple more questions for my wife. You know, my wife is a city girl, and her idea of camping is with a butler and a, and a, <laughs> and a really fancy tent. Uh, <laughs> so, but I'm, I'm, I'm working on her to say, we got to get the kids out there and experience what I experienced in the mountains. So, she wants to know is, you know, yeah engaging little ones what can you do in the woods that really engages little little children yeah i think the two things that came to my mind immediately when you asked that one would be a scavenger hunt of sorts something that is educational but fun to look for something you know your kids ages you said three they're both three yeah i mean that would be like really like look for a brown leaf or a pink flower, you know, really keep it simple. But as they grow to make those questions a little bit more advanced, maybe play on some things that they might be learning in school, uh, you know, or just something that you want to teach them and have interest in Uh, anything from navigation, looking out at distant peaks, you know, even using I'm, I used to be really opposed to using technology in the woods with my kids. And I really started to bend the rules when I thought they're going to have more fun if I let them have this phone or an iPod or whatever it is to take a picture and try to identify a wildflower or use an app to identify a distant peak, that type of thing. So I use it to supplement. I, I also teach them map and compass skills. And, you know, interestingly, kids really love that stuff. If you do it in the way, in a way that engages them and empowers them, 
more times than not, they will actually get into it. They may be resistant at first, but if you just get over that little hump of getting them out there, usually they have a much better time than they act like they will before you leave home, at least in my experience. That's great. Now, well, that's some good ammunition for me to take back home. <laughs> games. So, the other thing I was going to say is games. Fire uh, games that, you know, alphabet games. You can look online and Google hiking uh, games. But my kids love to play games. Or they did. They're teenagers. So oh, they don't love anything. A version of, uh, you know, I spy with my little eye. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, that's a perfect one for their ages. Yeah. Yeah. It really gets them interested. Now, is there any special gear besides, you know, like technology, uh, like electronic technology for little ones? Uh, you know, they make specific backpacks and sleeping bags and all that type of thing. If you wanted to take them on more backcountry pursuits, if you're just going to go car camping, I think what you probably already have at home for sleepovers and, you know, just grabbing blankets off of the bed is probably fine, too. Uh, but yeah, you can go crazy with budget and, uh, you know, there are many, many options, but I like to usually advise people to start simple, see what they like, and then work up to pricier, maybe just better made things that, that might suit them as they grow. Cool. Well, I, I can guarantee you I'm not starting out with pup debt. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's going to have to be, it's going to have to be at least a 10 foot. There you, go. you may be, you may need a camper van. <laughs> I might need that. So, so what are some great places to hike in the Smokies for children? Oh yeah. There's so many fun places. It brings back so many memories when people ask me this question and they're still, interestingly, the places I returned with my kids as teenagers, uh, just off the top of my head, some of my favorites in the park, uh, really, my top one of my top favorites for myself or with children is Flat Creek, which is off the Blue Ridge Parkway mm. on, I guess, uh, it's up near Mile High Campground and the Balsam Mountain Campground. It's a one-way hike, and you can either shuttle cars or just have a parent backtrack. I think it's only about a two-mile trail, backtrack to the car and drive down to the other end. Uh, Big Creek is another family favorite. You can either go all the way back into Walnut Bottoms, which is five miles one way. So that's a little bit of a trek for younger kids. But even if you just go to Mouse Creek Falls, which I think is about two miles in, that's a great turnaround spot. Have a picnic lunch, come back out, call it a day. Uh, three and a half old. I, I could see it about a mile and a half. I'm putting them on my back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, yours are still too little. No, you're still in the carrying on the back phase. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> you're not far off, though. You're on the cusp. I'm about, a, I'm about a half mile uh, right now, maybe. <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah, no, you can, well, Cataluchi Divide, that's another one that I really, really love, just because it's an easy one to access from Haywood County, and you can go as far as you like, you've got those big ridgetop views from the trail, kids really like that, but really what I find kids, especially younger kids like the most, is water. If you can find a creek that's not flowing too strong, that becomes a hazard, you know, give a kid a creek and they're happy all day looking for salamanders and crawdads, all that kind of stuff. Oh, My kids idea. spend an entire day at a creek. Well, that's why a lot of people, the families like to come to the, to the Middle Arc. We have that nice Jonathan Creek in our backyard and we have like the, not, we have, a, you know, the side that Sirius has gotten out of the rapids and things and they can splash around and things like that. Absolutely. Yeah. They never want to leave. Yeah. No, that's a great spot. Now, one, one term you used in your in that title of that book, and I just wanted you to explain it real quick, is what is a nature deficit disorder? 
Yeah, nature deficit disorder. So Richard Louvre, as you mentioned earlier, coined that phrase and wrote an entire book. I even brought it since we had talked about it earlier. It's a big, fat, thick book. I mean, it's it became, though, my Bible, really, as I was raising kids to give me ideas and validation that what I was doing wasn't crazy. Because honestly, what I found as a young mother is that people seem to fear the woods, mothers, fathers even, were fearful of taking their kids out thinking, you know, there's bears out there, there's venomous snakes, all these things that could hurt my children or me. And it's such a disservice to our children to raise them like that, in my opinion, because if we can empower them with knowledge and teach them how to mitigate those situations, because sure, all those things are out there. There's about a hundred different things that most people worry about the wrong things. They're worried about the bears when they should worry about the ticks, you know, the tick. (laughs) Right. Um, You know, that, his whole uh, just MO with that book was to get people outside again, because as kids became more connected to digital devices, they became more disconnected from the natural world. And, you know, again, we're fearful of it. Just don't, it doesn't foster stewardship of it if they don't appreciate it. And we're just raising a generation that won't care for it. Like it needs to be cared for and protected if we don't get them out there. And it's really seriously not that dangerous. I mean, my parents, would send us walking two miles down through a wooded gravel road to pick up the bus before it was even light of day. And we were six and seven and eight years old, traipsing through the woods and the mountains. And then coming back from school at three o'clock, we were out. I would go miles away fishing in ponds at seven years old. Nobody yeah. around, you know, things like that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Nobody had to tell us to go play outside yeah. as kids. Yeah. yeah. But this, this yeah. day and age, it's a little tougher, I find. So, and, yeah. And if, you, and if I fell in the pond, I had to figure out how to save myself. And I did. Yep. You <laughs> learned by the school of hard knocks, right? Yeah. yeah. So, now, do you have any, um, you know, any sort of programs for uh, outdoor programs for kids or aware of any? Yeah, I've worked with some local schools for sure in the past, but I haven't done as much of that lately. Uh, I work more with adults these days, but I enjoy working with anybody who wants to learn. And I've got some young nephews who are at the age, a little bit older than your kids, but they are very inquisitive and curious and are being raised to really appreciate the outdoors. And so that just speaks my love language all day long. But but yeah, I treasure working with kids. Well, oh, oh, Bob, uh, Bob wanted me to to, to give you a nudge and say, hey, we're wanting to do some kids stuff at the Metal Arc. Are you interested in doing some things uh, on outdoor activities for kids in, in the yeah. future? Absolutely. Yeah, I would love to talk more about it and find a way to work together and do that because I think it would be a really tremendous resource to offer your guests, you know, to oh, learn yeah. together, parents and children. It's a great way to spend an afternoon. I think so. I think that, you know, I really like the idea of, uh, you know, summer camps, you know, that uh, take advantage of hospitality, but, you know, that could be, you know, families can come. It's both great for the family and for the kids. So absolutely. All right. So now you have a book called Chasing the Smokies Moon. I love that. Is this your first book? It is my first book. Yes. I used to think it was my one and only, but I've already got too many ideas in my head now. So I don't think it will be. <laughs> oh, no, no. It, yeah, you should. You, it, uh, the reviews are great. I'm seeing people love that book. Oh, so, thank uh, you. So how did it come about? Yeah, so it came about kind of a multifaceted point in my life. I was on the verge of turning, I think, 48 at the time and feeling kind of middle-aged, feeling like if I don't do something big athletically, I may not be able to do it, which is kind of silly because I knew I had plenty of years left, but I'd always wanted to pursue something that really tested my limits of endurance. 
Simultaneous to this phase of my life with my search and rescue team, we were involved in a search in the National Park up at Clingman's Dome for a woman by the name of Susan Clements. She was here on vacation with her daughter and got lost on one of the most popular trails less than a mile from her car at the trail. I remember that. Yeah, that's yeah. crazy. Yeah. It was, yeah, highly publicized. And so she perished. She died of uh, exposure or hypothermia where her core body temperature was no longer sustainable with life. And it really well, was crazy too world. because it was like 40 and 50 degrees. I really didn't understand it at the time. Yeah, yeah. Well, but a wind and rain came in and I'd rather be in 30 degrees in snow than I would 40 degrees in rain. And really? wow. absolutely. Yeah. So it wasn't surprising to any of us on search and rescue that she died, but it really impacted my life. And so I wanted to start that. That was really a pivotal point in my own life where I wanted to retire from veterinary medicine and do more intentional work with the outdoor community to educate them to stay what I like to call safe and found. And so I decided to merge this middle, you know, midlife crisis, if you will, with a fundraiser to try and raise money for the park to implement search and rescue or preventative search and rescue programs. And so I thought, I've got to do something flashy. I can't raise $30,000 just by saying, hey, you know, I think this is a great idea. So I teamed up with one of my best friends and we chased the speed record for hiking all the trails in the park to draw the attention to the cause. And you, and you won, you got the speed we record. Got it. Yes. <laughs> no one was more surprised than me. My friend is a, a natural athlete. He's done a lot of really big things in his life athletically, whereas I had never done anything except run a marathon. So it was a stretch for me, but, but yeah, I got through it and we were successful. Wow, and I and I read that there was a, also a human bear tragedy that happened at the same time too that affected yeah, you. Yeah, it was terrible. I mean, there's only been two fatalities in the park in the history of the park from a bear, and this was the second. And our story became interwoven in that one, not in the sense that one of us or anybody we knew was attacked and was this person involved in this fatality, but it impacted our hike. We had all our routes planned out in advance, and we had to shuffle the deck a little bit and we're sending our team into the exact same backcountry site at the exact same time this was happening so it was a little sobering wow and so this um i mean you basically survived a grueling endeavor with lots of uh things and stories that became intertwined so this this really set you on a track for a new life huh it did. Yeah, it really was a turning point, but a very positive one. I, I loved veterinary medicine. I, I truly loved my career in helping animals, but I was just feeling like it was time to move on and do something different. I've always been a little mercurial in nature and like to just, I don't know, I go where the wind takes me. So that's where it took me. And so what would you say the arc of the book is if somebody's reading it? What, what are they going to walk away with in terms of emotional mm. experience? Yeah, I think a sense of empowerment if they doubt themselves would be a pretty big one. Uh, I certainly am the worst about second guessing myself and my abilities. And more often than not, I prove myself wrong if I set my mind to something and really uh, channel my energies to a, a goal and a purpose. I'm typically, not always, but certainly uh, motivated to finish and do. But um, so I would say that. And it'll also teach people just safety for hikes. I interweave a lot of search and rescue stories in it. And I try to teach by example. So people might take a step back and say, wow, I've never thought about that. And maybe I should prepare a little better before my next hike. So I don't become, you know, in this or find myself in the same situation as this person did. Wow. So it's a great book for somebody who wants to live vicariously, or that somebody wants to actually experience it themselves. That's a, that's a double whammy. I like, and they get this on Amazon and places like that. 
They can. The, the print quality on Amazon, to be honest, is not great. It, they do their own printing and they kind of print it as people buy it. But I have had a bunch of them printed from a printer that does a much better job with the quality of the paper, the print quality, everything about it. So where, the, where, you, where, is that sold? where is that sold at? That's on my website, just my oh, really? Your website? Cool. Yeah, and I match Amazon's price. So they're, they'll get free shipping. So you well, know, yeah, we, we, we sell some books too. So we should you should talk to Bob and it uh, sounds like a wonderful book we could promote. Yeah. Oh, Sure. No, I'd love to sell it there. Yeah. Yeah. Make a fun keepsake. All right. We're going to take a break and then we're going to talk about, come back and talk about the, uh, some wonderful experiences you recommend in the mountains. Sounds good. Join us every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern for the Mind Behind Leadership, where we focus on what leadership really means to us and to others. We have practical discussions with the CEOs of some of the world's largest companies, owners of small businesses, and experts in psychology and behavior to get that inside track, what to do, what to avoid, and what really happens. Join me, Graham Dobbin, at the new time, 4 p.m. every Tuesday for the Mind Behind Leadership, here live on talkradio.nyc. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. Calling all pet lovers. Pet Avengers, assemble! On the Professionals and Animal Lovers show, we believe the bond between animal lovers is incredibly strong. It mirrors that bond between pets and their owners. Through this program, we come together to learn, educate, and advocate. Join us live every Wednesday at 2 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. This is Joseph Franklin McElroy back with my guest Nancy East on the Gateway to the Smokies podcast. So, uh, you know, we always talk about here at the Gateway and the Metal Arc about memorable tourism experiences. It's actually an academic study, but we we're more practical about it, and it's um, you know, it's about experiences that are flashbulb memories that people have, right, from things they do by traveling or hiking or going out or doing things uh and it relates to you know uh a lot of emotions and, and, and sensory perception or you know refreshment they get from seeing new art or, or you know a hedonistic moment of diving into the cold water under a wall waterfall just the physical you know experience or you know or meeting local characters or having an event with loved ones so you know these kind of things create these flashbulb memories. So I'm just going to put you on the spot and uh, Nancy and say, what is your most memorable flashbulb experiences you've had in the Smoky Mountains? 
Mm, gosh, they're so numerous. That's hard to pinpoint, but probably one of my first ones that popped in my head was when I first came to interview here 25 years ago about, and I had this interview all set up for obviously business hours, but instead of getting a hotel, I'm a poor college student with loans that I don't want to keep accruing. And so I went out and backpacked and actually got a little turned around if I'm telling the truth and had to really figure it out. It was my first experience with not really knowing where I was and having to draw on the knowledge that I had learned with Map and Compass and all that. But it really, even though I was a little mixed up and wasn't sure how to find my way back and I look at that trail now and I think, yeah, I can see how I got lost. So many people still get lost there, but uh, it was really one of those flashbulb moments where I thought, even though I'm scared, I know I'm going to figure this out and I love it here. This is going to be home and I can't wait to come back. Well, that is, that is, that's a feeling of self-knowledgement, right? Yes. You, know, you, you find out something about your, yourself and you know what? You can really find that out in the mountains. You know, when you go out of doors, you can really discover things about yourself that create permanent memories for the rest of your life. Yep, absolutely. It and, really, even uh, the bad ones, you know, can sometimes turn into the most meaningful experiences. Uh, yeah. Listen, the, the, one of the emotional factors they measure in these academic studies is negative experiences <laughs> actually can make them memorable and create revisited intention. So uh, it's, it's an interesting concept that I'm, I'm really thoroughly enjoying, but it also, it also creates a depth of understanding of human beings that I'm really enjoying too. Yeah. So uh, can you think of other places in the, in, the, in the Smokies that you think somebody could have a, one of those like flashable memory experiences? Yeah, for sure. So many of them. Um, I would say places like Cataloochee Valley, you know, is such a treasure just to go down if you can get there early in the morning before the sun rises and be there when the elk come down off the hills just to graze in those meadows before they go back up. They don't like the heat, so they'll go back up. Yeah. Uh, there are some wonderful tour companies actually in Waynesville, one that I work for, so I'm a little biased, but yeah. um, Cataloochee Valley Tours. Esther Blakely, the owner, does a wonderful job of taking people into the valley to see those elk in the fall when they're in the rut, you know, part of their, their life cycle. Um, synchronous fireflies that's another tour she leads that's quite the experience um, but even just going it doesn't have to be anything elaborate just going on a simple hike to a place like Big Creek or Deep Creek uh, Flat Creek which I mentioned earlier uh, even down into Cherokee the Oconee Lufty River Trail is such a great one with young kids you can even bike that one and take your dogs you can't take your dogs on any other trail except that one and there's one in Gatlinburg that you the Gatlinburg Trail but Otherwise, you're wow. not allowed to take dogs. So those are some of my family favorites. Well, and then besides the Smoky Mountains, there's actually lovely little towns around the Smoky Mountains. Yes. You, you okay. live in Waynesville, or you live in Waynesville, right? Right. I do, yeah. So I like, uh, yeah, we only have a few minutes, but I, I like our guests to tell us what would be a little nice itinerary for a day in Waynesville. You know, breakfast, what to do, lunch, what to do, dinner. That's a great question. Yeah, I would actually probably start the day in Maggie. I would go to Pop's place. That's fine. Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Joey's is great too, but yeah, Pop's, I, I have a little stronger preference for personally. So that's where I would probably start my day. And then 
maybe meander around Maggie, but I love downtown Waynesville. Uh, even Hazelwood has got some just wonderful shops now. Hazelwood Soap Company, the place that I mentioned before, Robin Blue. Uh, there's a coffee shop downtown. Lots of fun little thrift stores if people are into thrifting that are just really well organized and not just a hodgepodge of stuff. They really try to categorize things in a thoughtful way. Um, great bookstores. You can certainly find my book and a couple of them. Uh, and then I would probably have lunch at Kanini's. That would be my top pick on North Main in Waynesville. My daughter actually works there. So if you do go there, you got to get a bake good because she does all, all right. good baking. She's, 16, <laughs> but she's a very talented baker. So she uh, she's who will, will make your brownie or your cake, whatever you decide to get. Uh, but it really is a great restaurant. Um, yeah. And then for dinner that night, gosh, so many choices. I'd probably have a beer. I'd want to go and sit by a creek and have a beer. So Bear Waters maybe over in Canton or in Maggie uh, or Frog Level down in downtown Waynesville would be another time. Yeah, they all have creeks by them. That's pretty exactly. cool. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's very, yeah, opportunistic places to have a, a brewery with live music and the water. It's just a, a great atmosphere. So those are my top picks. Uh, and then for dinner, it would just depend on the mood I'm in. I'd probably hit up Watami if I were interested in something Asian. Uh, I love Doughboy's Pizza, particularly their salads. They have great salads. Um, if I wanted something a little swankier, maybe Frog's Leap. And yeah, that would probably wrap up my day. That maybe go good. to a sunset a with a glass of wine yep, on the parkway or something. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So how can people find out more about you, contact you, that sort of thing? Yeah, my website really is the best place because that channels you into any social media. I'm not the greatest with staying engaged on social media, but my blog has a wealth of information about everything and anything that we've talked about. And then some, I'm becoming more intentional about posting articles about safety and, and outdoor Can education. Can you give the URL for your website? Sure. Yeah. It's just my name, Nancy East, East like the direction.com. Mm -hmm. So all of it's there. I don't you have another one, uh, Hope Something? or Yeah, they all go to the same place. They I all go to the same place. When I published yeah. the book, yeah, it's one of those things somebody professional told me to do. Okay, cool. <laughs> so nancyeast.com. Yeah. Uh, cool. And then they can get to everything else they need to about you. Exactly. It's all Any there. particular social media channel that you post to that has a lot of good information that you like, you, you're proud of? Yeah, I'm probably more active on Facebook than I am Instagram. I'm old enough to think Facebook's a little cooler than Instagram, but uh, yeah, I, I cross post on both. So, but I'm not a TikToker yeah. or anything like that. I'm not that cool. Right. Well, cool. Thank you for being part of our show, and hopefully, we'll have you back again sometime to talk about all the other wonderful things you do. You're incredibly uh, talented and diverse in what you do. So, oh, I look forward to that. Well, I would treasure it. Thank you so much for having me. Cool. So. Um, this, we're, uh, you can find out more about this podcast at gatewaytothesmokies.fun, which actually now forwards to our uh, Smokies Adventure slash uh, Gateway to the Smokies site. We also publish this on facebook.com slash Gateway to the Smokies podcast, where you can actually see the live broadcast streaming. We're part of the talkradio.nyc network, which is a network uh, in New York that broadcast a lot of live podcasts uh, you know, um, every day of the week uh, with lots of different shows you know, ranging from travel to self-help to finance to business. I actually have another podcast on this network called Wise, we Wise Content Creates Wealth because I'm a, a content marketing expert. Um, and so you can look, look that up as well. Um, and uh, I recommend you stick around for a show after this, which is about New York. And I think you enjoy it. Um, 
you can, um, I, I want to mention that the Meadowlark Motel is having a, a special right now, which is, you know, a weekday special come stay three nights, you get one of those nights free. And if you bring a kid, you know, Catalucci has a kid ski free promotion during the week as well. So you can get a free night and a free ski ticket for your child. So um, hopefully we'll see you there. There's lots of snow lately, lots of uh, uh, fun times and the, the tubing is great. And we also have, you can also do winter fishing in, in, the, in the mountains and it's very good fishing. Um, so you can fish in our backyard as a, as a thing. Of course, we have fire pits and fireplaces uh speakeasy to get all comfy with after after you do your mountain adventures uh so come on by so i'll see you next week uh we will have uh, boyd burton who is actually the manager of the motel we're going to talk about uh finding a lot of comfortable and enjoyable hedonistic things in a in a good sense uh, in the mountains uh to enjoy you know so uh thank you very much see you next week tuesdays from six to seven bye business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. you on edge hey we live in challenging edgy times so let's lean in i'm sandra bargeman the host of the edge of every day which airs each monday at 7 p.m eastern time on talkradio.nyc tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges that's the edge of every day on mondays at 7 p.m eastern time on talkradio.nyc informed about menopause and how it impacts on your life hi i'm pat duckworth women's health strategist and host of the hot women rock radio show empowering women leaders at menopause join me every thursday at 10 a.m eastern time 3 p.m uk time on talkradio.nyc for interviews with inspirational women who will share their top tips to rock your world in a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. 
Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc.